0: As you head back to your seats, you can grab your Bibles and open up to Galatians chapter four. We'll continue in Galatians somewhat this morning. We'll start um, We'll start in verse twelve. We'll talk about eleven. Esteban's already preached a little bit about eleven. but I'll read Galatians. for who I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish that I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks. I started uh, writing a good exegetical sermon as any seminary professor would tell me to do, and I was using... Luther's commentary, which has been very helpful to Esteban and Calvin's, myself, Um, Calvin's commentary and Luther's commentary has been really helpful, and I was going through verse by verse and making notes, and then I just threw it all in the trash can, you guys have just felt stupid, and so I'm not going to cover each verse in detail like we might on other days, and this might get uh, an F from a seminary professor for a sermon, but I don't care because I think this, I love you, and I hope this will be more helpful to you. Um, This passage seems to carry a weight with it, especially for us, right? It carries a weight with us because of where our church is at currently, because we obviously, we can see parallels between Paul and the Galatians, and then our situation with our pastor. Esteban, a couple weeks ago, he, he touched on verse 11 where Paul says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is every pastor's fear. Every pastor's fear is that his work that he's done will be in vain. A pastor spends years shepherding a family only to see them abandon the flock over some small offense a pastor may preach the gospel to a man for decades and see him abandon his family and divorce his wife i remember a youth group leader who i really liked he was my 8th grade youth group leader and i've told some of you the story and I really liked him, and then as I was heading into college years ago, I I heard that he left his family, and he had been in an affair for quite a while, and he had been in this church for many, 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 many years, and then he had the audacity to just a few weeks after the divorce bring that wife to church where his kids and ex-wife were. There's a weight that a pastor carries that's hard to comprehend if you're not in the situation. It's easy to be a bad pastor. Anybody can be a bad pastor, okay? A bad pastor doesn't really care about you, okay? He just gets up and he preps a message, and he's happy to give it to you, but he's not carrying you in his heart. And if the people of the church were honest, they would know that the pastor doesn't carry them in his heart. And some of them want it so. They don't want their pastor to care for them. But it is hard to be a good pastor. It's stressful to be a good pastor. And as I've thought over the years how to help people understand the reality of being a pastor, I talk to them about their children. And if you're a parent, you can understand this more easily. Some of you have had harder times parenting than others. Some of you have had prodigal sons or daughters or seen your children go through a divorce or had issues with their children that you wish you could help fix with your grandchildren, but you can't because you're a grandparent now. But even those with with younger children, you still carry stress over your, your young children, do you not? some because of sickness, some because of obedience issues, but lots of, lots of hours of your life and your days of your life are spent worrying about your children. As you should. When you love somebody, you give your heart to them. And that takes work and that takes energy. It's incredibly joyful at times And it's incredibly difficult at times. Some days are full of tears, some days are full of laughter, and many days are full of both. Years ago, uh, one guy in our church, he and his wife got pregnant for the first time. And he was freaked out about the news, he was excited. But he was freaked out, so much so that he he heard the wife from he heard the news from his wife, and he just immediately went to the couch and his wife had to come and be like are you are you happy?" because he had just had no response and he was very happy, but he was overwhelmed, and he had a small group uh soon after that, and he came to the small group and he was talking to the men, and he said something like It just feels so heavy. And then his small group leader looked at him and said, that's the weight of manhood. And he was feeling the weight of responsibility that comes with being a father. And that's what love entails. There's a responsibility and a burden that you carry, that you feel for those that you love, especially those whom God has made you responsible for. And so you can imagine that a parent who has a a teenage son who's wayward, even if you don't have one, you can at least imagine that. If you have young kids, you can imagine what it would be like if one day your kid grows up and is wayward. And this wayward son is causing immense stress to his mother, and she cries most every night. And she's having panic attacks because she's terrified that her son is going to mess up his life in some way that's going to not be reversible or go get himself killed. And then you can imagine the father of that boy who's wayward and the weight that he carries. He has a son that he's worried about And he is also having to figure out how in the world is he going to love his wife through this time. And he might have other children, and he's got to figure out how to protect them and how to care for them and train them, and they don't understand what's going on. Some of you have lived that situation. And if you have a good pastor, and you do, then your pastor feels that burden with you. And he carries that burden. And he cries for you. Because he loves you, right? He thinks about your son often in that situation. But then you also have to remember that that pastor might have three of those exact situations going on in the church at once. And on top of that, he's driving to the hospital to visit a family who has a sick child. And while he's driving to the hospital, he's on the phone giving counsel to a man whose marriage is in trouble. And after he sees that family in the hospital with the sick kid, he's going to go to the other side of the hospital, and he's going to be with the family that just had their first baby and is so excited. That's a roller coaster of emotions. And he is extremely happy for you. But he also was just crying with the family on the other side of the hospital. And one day he gets a text that God's answered prayers, and one man gets a great promotion at his job. But at the same day, a few hours later, another man is laid off in his church, and he doesn't know how he's going to care for his family financially. He has men who are blind as a bat to their sin in the church that he's spent hours and years, maybe, trying to help them see their sin, and they will not open their eyes. There's weak men in the church who need help growing up as men. There's men who desperately feel the weight of manhood and fatherhood and need help. There's men that he needs to help step up to be a father, and there's men that he needs to talk down to learn to be sweet and patient with their family. And He may have conflict and conflict with his elders or his staff or deacons for a season and that's stressful you ever have conflict at work or with your classmates and he sees some of the youth getting baptized and he smiles and he's happy and he sees another youth graduate and get caught up in this party sexual morality lifestyle and the pain that he causes their family He helps put marriages back together and that makes him happy. But it took months, maybe years to do that. And that was long, hard work. Oh, and by the way, this pastor, this pastor, a pastor, is a, he's a normal human. He's a sinner. He gets in fights with his wife. He has to asked for forgiveness from his children. And he laughs with his kids, and he cries with his kids. He fights with his wife, but he has a wonderfully sweet relationship with his wife, and at the same time, she is such a help to him. And some of you think, well, why would anybody want that job? You know, James 3 talks about how not many of you should become teachers. And he's primarily talking because of our words and our speech. But this job is not for everybody. Now, bad pastoring, that's easy, okay? That pastor doesn't feel weight. Lots of pastors in our land, they get a big paycheck. They say, well, I'm the teaching pastor that's the job for the counseling pastor. I'm the worship pastor. I don't do hospital visits. That's not pastoring. A real pastor feels the burden for a sheep and it's not always hard. Just like your life isn't always hard. I don't want to I'm just trying to help you see the reality of what life can look like at times for a pastor, okay? His life is not always pain, 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 hard, crying, okay? But lots of times. Because he feels a burden for everybody in his church. And there's always a weight that's there that's hard to fully understand if you're not in that position. And I don't say that to act pompous and say, well, you, you can't really understand what a pastor goes through. Because in some sense you can because you can imagine that, but in another sense you can. It's similar to how I think of like law enforcement officers or police officers or those in the military. None of us will know what it is like to be in war unless you've done it. Okay? You can listen to Chris Snell talk to you about his stories, and you can see his tattoos about how all gave some, the some gave all, And you can imagine what it's like, but you cannot know fully what it's like. And the same with police officers. Police officers see parts of reality that would be too much for many of us. And we can hear stories, but we can't fully know. You can feel the weight a bit, and your pastor has a different kind of weight, a different weight than somebody that's a law enforcement officer or who's been at war, but it's still a weight and it's very heavy. Your pastor is likely to be with almost every family after they lose a loved one, and if you've been with loved ones who have lost family, you know how hard it is to be in that room. After a family member has just passed and you feel the weight and the sting of death and the wails of anguish and it's heartbreaking and i tell you this for a few reasons this morning church i want you to understand in the sense the weight that a pastor carries because i think that's good for you to know but more than that i want you to know you have a good pastor You have a pastor who carries you in his heart and has for over a decade for many of you. Now, our situation is a little different than the Galatians. Paul was preaching to the Galatians because he had some sort of bodily ailment, and our pastor has been prohibited from preaching the gospel to you because of his bodily ailment. but I want you to remember that one of your one of a pastor's greatest fears, it would be mine, it's Esteban's, it's certainly Josh's, is that we would labor over you in vain. And if you can put yourself in a pastor's shoe in some way this morning, I would call this sermon of success. Your pastor has walked through so much trial with you. I was there when the elders of Chicago wanted to close our church down 10 years ago, and your pastor fought for you, and he took abuse from men who told him that his spiritual life was in a dark place because he was going against his elders in Chicago, and because he wouldn't close the church down, because we weren't growing like some fast megachurch. We only had 75 people or so, and they wanted to shut the church down and ship Josh off to some other church that would have more money and would have uh, more people and that they could grow to a real church. And Josh said, no. I remember getting a phone call from a church in Kansas City about a decade ago asking if I could come be their worship pastor because they heard our church was closing down. And I said, I don't think our church is closing down. I just talked to my pastor. He said, our church is not closing down. And the abuse and the conflict that your pastor endured on your behalf because he loved you and didn't want to abandon you is something that you probably can never fully understand and you'll be thankful for one day when you get to see it all in heaven. And I remember the amount of stress that your pastor was under when, years later when an elder here began causing conflict Amongst the elders and amongst the church against its pastor. And the patience and the graciousness and the abuse that your pastor covered in love is something that you will also give glory for when that's revealed. But the spiritual depression was also real, but your pastor loved you and he fought for you. I've seen the thousands of hours that your pastor has given to you in counseling. And I've heard about it. And I know there's countless more that I have not heard about. You guys ever counsel somebody? You ever spent time counseling anybody? Some of you have. If it's hard, two hours feels like you've just spent two days. Not all counseling is that hard. Some of it's really joyful, and some of it's really hard. He's given so much to so many of the marriages throughout the years. Almost all of you have been immensely blessed by your pastor and his wisdom and discernment. You've spent years uh, taking your questions of life to him, and he's helped you think about things, and he's told you things that you probably would have never thought about because that's what a pastor does. He sees things that you wouldn't think about, and a good pastor tells you about them and rebukes you or encourages you or challenges you in some way. Many of you came to this church boys, and you turned into a man over the last decade. That's certainly my case. And Paul says in verse uh, 19, He says, My little children, for whom I am in anguish, again in anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. And Paul wishes so badly in verse 20 that he can be with the Galatians, right? And this is how your pastor feels about you. He's been in anguish over you for years, and he's labored over you for over a decade. And if you remember anything from this sermon, it is this. So look at me right now. If you remember anything from this sermon... Your pastor is proud of you. I am proud of you. Esteban is proud of you. We are proud of you. We are so proud of you. You are our delight. And I don't understand this providence that God has our church under. I don't know why some awful pastors in this town uh, they get to keep getting their paychecks week after week preach a message and destroy the gospel in this town and make a mockery of Christ. I don't know why some pastors in this town pastors in this town get to do that and your pastor has only been able to preach to you once this year. It doesn't make sense to me. And I read Psalms, and I keep thinking, God, what I'm reading here is is not my experience, so where are you right now? Why won't what I'm reading right now, God, be true? And so you read things like Proverbs 12, and you say, the wicked are overthrown and are no more but the house of the righteous will stand. Or Psalm 37, 9, for all the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And I just think, God, why does that seem like that's the opposite of what seems to be true right now? I don't know why, in some of the most peaceful and fruitful years of our church's life, which have been the last two years, why in the most peaceful and fruitful years of our church's life, largely in part because of how much your pastor has fought for you and fought against your sin for the last decade, why our pastor, instead of being able to enjoy those fruits, is sick and miserable at home. And so many of us are enjoying the fruits of our pastor's labor. And it breaks my heart that he can't enjoy these in the same way just by merely his presence with us regularly. I don't know what God is doing, but I do know this. God has never abandoned his people, and the verses that I've already read are true. And those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. God didn't abandon Israel when they were wandering in the desert for more years than they would want, He didn't abandon them when they were in captivity through all the conflict that we've had and the trials that we've had as a church over the last 12 years, he's never abandoned us. He didn't abandon Job. He's never abandoned his people. You can think of your life, and you—you you know, one of the blessings of getting older is that you just see time and time again, God has never abandoned me. And many times as people have to wait far longer than they would prefer, but that's because God God is doing something that we can't understand. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that is where we are as a church right now. God has us in this trial right now, and our job is to trust and believe that God's ways are higher than our ways. We trust that he will work all things together for good. He really will for those who are called according to his purpose. How this all works together for good, I can't tell you right now, but I believe it's true, and you should too. And so church, we just want to keep this sermon short and say a few things in closing. I've already said this, but please know, your pastors are so proud of you. We love you. We know you have lots of sin. You have lots of struggles. But you have grown so much over the years. And we are so proud. Number two, be thankful for your pastor. Your pastor has labored over you more than you can ever know. Someday in heaven, you'll know. And you'll be even more grateful but for what you do know, be grateful for how much love and how much weight your pastor has carried because he's a good pastor and he loves you. And if you want to encourage your pastor, number three, assure him that he hasn't labored in vain by continuing to strive and walk in righteousness. You don't drift towards godliness don't drift towards sinlessness. You drift towards laziness and waywardness. And so if you've been lax about your spiritual life, if you want to encourage your pastor, get back on the horse and put things in order and back in practice that you shouldn't have, let fall. Believe the things that you've been taught by your pastor. Obey them and do them, the things that you, need, that you know you need to do. And in some sense, church, we know we haven't labored in vain because we see so much fruit that God has born in each of you. I mean, do you remember, for many of you, the type of person that you were before you came here? I was talking to some of you at the men's retreat, and we were just talking about what they what they were like, right? Kevin, you and I were talking. Chris is different. All of, I'm just looking at all of you, all of you. And so, in some sense, we know, just by looking at you, and seeing that all that God has done, we know we haven't labored in vain. But it still is a fear of every pastor. And so the number one way you can love your pastor is by running your race with faith. Church, we love you. And in a moment, we're going to grab the parents. Um, the parents are going to grab their kids, excuse me. And Josh is going to come give you an update about how he's doing. Um, so why don't we, before we do that, though, let me pray. And then we'll go grab the kids and hear from Pastor Josh. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we are so thankful for the work that you've done in our lives. We're so thankful for your providence to bring us to this church. And how you directed our lives and how when we were younger we were praying that you would direct our steps. And somehow you directed us to a church with a pastor who cared for us and elders who cared for us, and men and women who loved us. And you've helped us and you've sanctified us. And we aren't like we were a decade ago. Father, we give thanks to you and we praise you for our pastor. We ask that you would heal him Father, we know, and it's obvious that it's not going according to our timetable. We would have loved to see Josh healed months and months ago. But we trust you, and we are confident that you will not abandon the NIP family. You will not abandon our church. And so, Father, we wait for you, even if we have to wait for a long time. Father, would you please act quickly? Father, would you please be merciful? Father, we love you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may go and grab your children. Please.